Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. My name is Todd McLaughlin, and I will be your host. If you would like to learn more about our upcoming live stream yoga classes, workshops, teacher trainings, and or our online yoga studio, please visit us at nativeyogacenter.com. Thank you. Sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining in. I'm really excited to have Dr. Michael Shea again for a second time here uh, as a return visit. And um, Michael, can can you say hello to everybody to let them know you're here? Hey, everyone. How's everyone doing? <clears throat> awesome. Thank you. Um, you know, thank you so much, Michael, for coming in. I feel like living in Juneau Beach um, is one of the great things about living here is that, that you live about a couple <clears throat> steps away. And so most of the time I'm doing my uh, these podcasts, I get to call people on the phone. And this is an opportunity where I actually get to sit here with you and um, and get to see you. And so uh, it is really a pleasure for you to be back. We had great response from the first podcast with you. And hence, while, while uh, you are willing to uh, make a repeat return, <laughs> um, just so that everybody can get to know you, you have... 40 plus years experience of practice and study in the realm of meditation, body work, cranial sacral therapy work, biodynamic cranial sacral therapy. Uh, you've written a lot of books regarding um, the, the embryo and how the embryonic stage plays into our development, which I find quite fascinating to get to listen to you talk about. Um, is there anything else we could add to that repertoire of uh, skill set? Uh, you forgot the mangoes. And, that's right. Good point. Good point. And a mango connoisseur <laughs> with some great, some epic mango trees here in Florida, um, which we are not. Do you still have mangoes left over from the season? Did you freeze a bunch? Obviously, this isn't mango season, but uh, no, we we actually uh, freeze as much as we can, especially because we we uh, had a storm that threatened us in late July. So we harvested about three or four hundred pieces of fruit. But we've got fifteen trees, and um, we get it pretty well distributed, and a lot of it frozen. I do not like frozen mango. My wife loves frozen mango in her smoothies and i i'm a raw food person so yeah i hear you it's not quite the same flavor as it when you blend it up right versus that fresh style i hear you well um you know i i feel like today the direction that we would i wanted to take you or hopefully maybe you take us is uh if you had to define the the current state of the world as an age, what would you call us the age of? Well, we're in the age of uncertainty. Uh-huh. Um, uncertainty and not knowing. We have multiple overlapping, you know, planetary situations, multiple overlapping civilizational issues, um, political, you know, weather-wise, um, infection wise and i and i dare say food wise and lifestyle wise many many things all at once uh, mm. that are dealing that the whole planet is dealing with and each of us is dealing with mm. so it creates a, a a lot of uncertainty and it also creates a lot of not knowing like what am i going to do next or how do i handle this yeah good point um what's something that you've noticed in your own i know that you practice meditation regularly to, um, you know, just from having years of, of interest in it. Um, can you give us any insight and or um, tips, tricks and or things we can do to navigate a world of an age of uncertainty? You know, um, I get asked that a lot. And I think the biggest challenge we face is that each of us has our own aptitude for managing stress. Uh, we can read about having a breathing practice or having a yoga practice or having a meditation practice. I have a, a daily meditation practice, yet um, have experienced for the last two months periodic anxiety attacks, um, you know, regarding the political thing, being just being an American uh, and everything that's going on with that. And I, I realized, wow, um, the meditation is good um, to a certain extent, 
but I need something else. And the biggest challenge is in the the era of social distancing, I needed more social contact. So I just started, you know, calling friends, talking to friends, and just being in conversation, everyday conversation. How are you feeling? What's up? It's like the the best thing we can do. Because we got phones now, we got Zoom, we got Skype, we got FaceTime, we got all that. So I'm finding that, you know, when I heard that seven out of 10 Americans are experiencing pre-election anxiety, and that the the number one thing was just to to talk to someone about it, well, I've been talking to someone about it as much as I can, probably every other day, Mm -hmm. on the phone with somebody, Mm -hmm. and my family. So it's caused my family to get closer, um, my wife and I to get closer, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very important. I, I tend to think that even if we have different views, there's still the possibility that we could get closer through conversation, even if we share different views. But obviously that takes both parties, both people that are conversing to be involved in a dialogue where we're open to share our opinions, however, um, accepting that it's okay to have differing opinions, but coming together with the overall vision of being unified and or of the same same country, family, species, you know, like supporting each other, even though you have a totally different idea that I do about things, I could still appreciate you and where you're coming from, but that's obviously a lot easier said than done. Do you, do you think that I'm living in a fanciful dream <laughs> or is, is that, um, is that just sound good? But well, in actuality, you, two people can't have opposing views and see eye to eye. Um, what do you think? Well, I think Todd, you and I are licensed massage therapists in the state of Florida. And so we're in the alternative health field. So, on the one hand, you know, you and I have a certain training that, you know, when a client comes in, regardless of race, color, creed, political orientation, or anything, we have diversity training. We have a tolerance for whatever comes in the door. I mean, for the most part, mm-hmm, uh, you, mm-hmm. regarding the services that we provide. I agree. And I'm always curious, why can't I or we not meaning you specifically, but but people in general that have this knowledge that we really have to be tolerant can't do it a lot of the times. Yeah, And I think that's just part of this global epidemic of uncertainty. Because for me, what happens, and I noticed this last week, so we have the election, and all week after the election, my mind is just looping hope and fear hope and fear, hope that my guy wins, you know, and fear that my guy's not going to lose. But it, it gets to be more subtle than that. And the hope and the fear then gives rise to a certain level of anxiety and then a certain level of irritation and then a certain level of anger and pushback. And all of that can happen in a millisecond. Mm. And I think meditation, you know, allows me to see that. Because meditation isn't something that you do 20, 30, 40, however long you do it, at whatever time of day you do it. In Zazen, it's called continuous practice. Mm. And that is that you bring the cushion, you bring that mat, the, the yoga mat, to every single interaction and every moment of your life. And that's the hardest teaching I've mm. found because everybody's going to do that a little bit differently. Yep. Now, my wife and I, um, she got really angry at me, um, last night and hadn't seen that in a, in, in a couple of months. And it was like, wow, that, that's pretty awesome. And, <laughs> and, and yes, yes, I did do something that deserved it, but not, not the full on that I got. So <laughs> we don't, but the point is that within minutes, each of us apologized to one another. Mm. Okay. And I, I think that's the challenge is that you, you, you're, you're allowed to be irritated. You're allowed to be, I mean, there's a lot going on, but it's the resilience factor. It's, it's moral resilience. How can you, when you feel that level of distress, all of a sudden let it go. That's the hardest thing mm-hmm. to do is the mm-hmm. letting go, you mm-hmm. know, that long, slow exhale, letting go on the exhale. 
letting the thought go, whatever that might be. And it's an ongoing practice. There, mm. There's no perfection to it. You're going to do it differently than I'm going to do it. Um, but we need to be aware of that. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess with that framework, yeah, I think the the ability to say sorry is enormous, even when you think you're right. To even be willing to say sorry, even when you still think you're right, is just enormous for changing the vibe between in communication. I heard you make mention recently a term that I hadn't really contemplated before called um, moral uncertainty or, um, I guess, uh, moral distress. Yeah. Because um, I always think of, you know, I have physical distress, I have mental distress, and then when you said moral distress, I thought, are my morals distressed? Like, <laughs> what is, <laughs> what are my morals, and then how are they being stressed out? Well, can you can you share a little bit of light on on this this uh, this term? Well, I think it'd be good to have some context. So, um, I have begun uh, a two and a half year training program as to become a Buddhist chaplain, so I can you know work locally more and and not travel so much. Mm. And within that, I've started doing the reading and the reading. Uh, the first reading is about the the health field. It's a book called uh, Moral Resilience. And in it, I realized um, that the term moral distress just refers to the amount of distress that healthcare workers have, and now the general population, I believe, regarding decisions that are made that they have to implement um, that might not be compatible with the end result, let's say with a client or a patient that's in a hospital room and so forth. So uh, uh, the moral distress is that we realize that the decisions are being made around us that are affecting people that don't feel right, that aren't right given our sensibility and or our sense of morals. Mm. So it's in that, that right and wrong dynamic. But it also has to do with life and death. Mm. I mean, life and death decisions are being made all around us now, especially with this COVID-19 dynamic. And so consequently, you hear about the moral distress that's going on in hospital units. The biggest one being um, is how when you're, you've got a, a, an ICU unit that's, that's overwhelmed with COVID patients, and some of them are not going to make it anyway, how do you not give them a respirator? How do you not give them mm. medication? Because you've got other younger people who are likely to make it. Now, that's kind of the ultimate a moral distress question within the healthcare community. Mm. But at our, you know, pedestrian level, you know, cause we're just trying to run a small business, you and I, and, and get along with our family and, and locally. But we, we also see what's happening locally. We see that family members can be distressed from situations that are happening in our culture, um, on the planet. Uh, and consequently that whole dynamic comes up. Of, of distress, but the good news is that that level of distress usually triggers the desire for moral engagement because we're really talking about altruism here, mm. waking up the heart, waking up, how can I help? Something's not right here. I'm not feeling right about what's going on. You know, how can I help myself, but how can I reach out and help others? What do I need to do to be morally engaged. Mm. And and that's a very important dynamic that's being stressed right now in the Buddhist community is moral engagement. Where can I put my time and energy to be um, and have effective altruism is what it's called, effective altruism, and mm. have an impact? Well, it starts, you know, with our family. It starts right in our home and then yeah. on the block where I live and and then expanding out from there. Mm. So I've got a, I've been doing Zooms uh, for the last several months, um, and I've worked with the country and my students in Spain, uh, and then the students in Italy, and now I've got like 160 students in uh, Germany and Austria that I'm working with, and I always start with that. You know, how can we lower our stress levels? Mm. You know, not only through the the body work that we're doing and we're, we're learning, yeah. but also. How do we hold the globe in and hold it in our heart mm-hmm. as best we can? Well said. Do you do you think that? Well, obviously, what you said it relies in our hands 
and not in the hands of leadership, although it relies in both, it seems, obviously, like we need the leadership to kind of grab the bull by the horns and lead. But I keep having this feeling lately of like it really, really relies on me. And I, I know this is, sounds maybe a little too bold to say, but like um, we are the government, right? Like you and I and every individual makes up the whole government really to that level. So then to stress about other people almost takes away from our ability to focus on our current situation. Again, sometimes I feel like I'm being naive thinking that way. But at the same time, that kind of pulls me out of those places of despair when I'm like, what can I possibly do? (laughs) Like, what, how can I possibly help this situation? So it just seems, it seems empowering, actually. If I can get into that frame of mind, it feels empowering to uh, feel like maybe there is something I can do. And I like that you said that the element of developing compassion and empathy for our neighbors and our friends or our family, starting with our family, does make it seem like we, we can have a finger a finger on it, well, a hand in it. Yeah, I, you know, compassion is interesting because um, in the Buddhist point of view, compassion is considered the ultimate state. So, you know, when you get enlightened, you know, whatever that means, um, that that state of mind is the enlightened state, compassion. But, you know, we're a long way from that. <laughs> uh, and when you, when you really look at compassion, the, the biggest challenge is we don't have compassion for ourselves. You know, we, I, you know, I went through all these cycles of hope and fear. And because I was meditating, I could accept that that was my experience and not reject it. And the, the whole dynamic is, you know, to stop rejecting our personal experience and, and to really make more, more space and more space for that. And I like what you said because it, it really is about leadership. Um, you know, I was trained as a military officer, and I've been a student of leadership all my life. I follow leadership blogs. Oh, yeah, okay, they're military leadership blogs, but but they're they're really good things to say about um, leadership in general, and then how you apply that to yourself, and what that means when you apply self leadership to yourself, and you apply self compassion to yourself, you can then become morally independent. One of the things that's breaking down that we're seeing all around us is there's, there's a breakdown. Let's, let's just say there's a breakdown in the Ten Commandments because we see a lot of lying. We see a lot of falsehoods. We see so much trivial stuff on, on the Internet <clears throat> and all that kind of dynamic that's going on. And within that, how do we become morally independent? In other words, how do we approach each situation of our life stay in the present moment and allow the solution to come forward in that moment and not have to draw upon these really, really ancient rules um, about conduct and ethics and so forth. Not that they aren't valuable. Sometimes you need those as a starting point. But there's a point at which we are now being asked to stay in the present moment, to provide leadership for ourselves, compassion for ourselves. Um, independence around our ethics and morality. And not that we're going to turn into a bad guy, but that we can present ourselves in each situation and be more of a help because we can be calm because we know a solution, a situation that we're in, and the process that we're in can resolve itself if we stay present mm. and and engaged in that level we can then become and see how moral independence works. Wow. Yeah, that's a great point. I, Having been raised on the Ten Commandment, kind of here it's laid down and this is what you follow. And um, But I, I like the simplicity, although I know things that sound simple aren't always so easy. But I like the simplicity of just <clears throat> being present and then, if you can just get present, that that more out that um, inspired morality that just comes from the feeling that we're getting off of the person that we're working with or seeing, or in the room with, or in the group with, or even alone, that 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 could spring forth out of that. Which that's that's pretty fascinating. I mean, that could um, 
that could really bring a big game. That could be a big game changer in all of this when people are wondering, like, how do I get through this? Like, how much longer? <laughs> when is it going to go back to yeah. and starting to go? There's not going back. Like, let's move forward. Let's redefine the rules of engagement, maybe. And if the rules of engagement are simple, like just be present and obviously still work off of these original ideas about truthfulness, taking care, not coveting, greedlessness, cleanliness, um, you know, all these things that we've been kind of taught and has been ingrained throughout time. Um, Great point. So can you take us in the direction of this other two words married together, civilization issues? Um, Do you have civilization issues? (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, um, <laughs> can can you have civilization issues personally, or are civilization issues only within a civilization? Uh, are civilization issues societal issues? Are societal issues and civilization issues the same? Yes. Okay. So you feel that this as a where do you where do you see us? Where could we go? Instead of saying like, where where do you think we're going to go? Because that could go a lot of ways. Right. Where would you like to see us go with our civilization issues? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Well, I think we have to come back to, you know, taking care of ourselves and taking care of our families and, and the communities around us first. Um, and I think that's that's really a key point. You know, the civilizational issues, you know, have to do with the virus and they have to do with global warming. Um, and I think the biggest challenge, you know, within all of that, because you and I are body workers and... It, it gets down to the human body and the human mind. And what's happening right now is that the biggest civilizational issue regarding the, the human body is that 94% of the people that die from COVID-19 have the comorbid issue of metabolic syndrome. In other words, in another research report, 88% of Americans, that's 8 8 Get it? Okay. That's 88. That's a whole lot. 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. So that means that intrinsically, um, and it's mainly from um, what is called ultra-processed food. Americans eat more ultra-processed food than any other country in the world. Uh, Ultra-processed food then uh, and its complement of added sugars and, and all the additives that go into that over time has succeeded in substantially and, and for many people severely damaging their immune system and their body. <clears throat> and this is a big, a big, big um, civilizational issue. Now, we could look at it politically uh, in terms of the food corporations, and a lot of that has been written about. I don't really want to go there because there's a lot of anti-corporation rhetoric out there right now. But we vote at the voting booth, and we also vote when we go to Publix, and we walk down the aisle. And I was I was shocked, but, n- well, not shocked that much, that at the beginning of this whole pandemic, when the lockdown happened— all the aisles that had junk food were empty furs. There were still meat, potatoes, and vegetables available in the stores. All the junk food went for, I mean, 
Okay, I get it. I have comfort food too. I mean, I got my comfort food. I love yeah. bacon. Yeah, you know, so I get my sh- uh, sugar-free, uncured bacon, and once or twice a month, <laughs> I have my bacon festival. I call it. My wife calls it my bacon festival. <laughs> but the, but the point is, we are not only dealing with the degradation of the human mind in terms of uh, moral distress, but we're also talking about the degradation of the human body and especially here in America. And when you've got um, the amount of, of metabolic challenges that people have, and it's pretty clear what, what some of the sources are. I'm not going to say 100% of the sources are ultra-processed food, but most of it has to do with diet and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. This is hugely challenging. And at a personal note, Todd, I was morbidly obese as an adolescent, um, and then when I was in the military, I had a, um, uh, a shocking event, a traumatic event, and I left the military quite morbidly obese. Um, and I, so I have a really deep abiding interest in how I healed myself from eating processed food. Like, like I went into Dunkin' Donuts, you know, just before the <laughs> yeah. podcast here, so you and I could split a cup of, you know, really, really good coffee. And that was my thing. You know, every time I go in there, I look at the glazed donuts. Oh, yeah. And it's it's like, oh, my God, that's what I had to break myself, that habit yep. that I had to break myself of. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to do because um, processed foods are addictive. Um, mm-hmm. And I totally get, you know, the mm-hmm. addictive nature. They, they trigger the dopamine response and receptor sites in the brain, just like cocaine and heroin. Same places, same receptor sites. So it's very careful um, how we have to approach our body because one size does not fit all. I can't yep. tell you to get off processed food because I, yep. I, you may have an epigenetic pattern in your body um, that if you got off of them, um, you, you might have more challenges uh, in the short term, not necessarily the long term. Because mm-hmm. we are in that age now where we need coaching. We need help. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, what are we talking about? Real food. That's what Robert Lustig, um, Mm. the pediatric neuroendocrinologist that I follow on Twitter, Robert Lustig, L-U-S-T-I-G. And his website, it's just about real food. We've we've got to have the restoration of real food. Mm. Now that's for the restoration of a safe body, a body that feels safe inwardly. If you have a metabolic problem, you're not feeling safe inwardly. And guess what? If you're not feeling safe inwardly, you ain't going to feel safe outwardly. Other, You're going to start with levels of mistrust because we know how it affects the brain, how processed food really starts to degen- <clears throat> degenerate the brain. Mm. So you're not going to feel safe around people. And I'm not blaming the whole thing that's going on out, out in the world right yeah. now on processed food. It's yeah. a major player. Yeah. We have a lot of bases that need to be touched and a lot of things that need to be cleaned up. And we can do that in our kitchen, yeah. in the grocery store, yeah. you know, in our places of worship. Yeah. So. yeah. Good point. It seems like <clears throat> as you were mentioning that, you know, and in my mind, I'm kind of going through, oh, yeah, what what did I eat yesterday? And what am I going to have today? And and there's a little bit of a <clears throat> like a uh, internal checklist that starts to happen. And I have noticed that by practicing movement and such as yoga on a daily basis, that it seems like the physical exercise tends to cause me to want to eat something that will give me some nourishment. I mean, of course, sometimes like I want that Gatorade or I want that sugar fix maybe after a big exercise session. But generally speaking, I feel like the having physical movement and exercise tends to coach the desire to eat a little bit better. And when I focus not just on the eating better part as a as that's my where my direction goes, but I also start to spread or we could spread the direction into I'm also going to try to make sure I get a little bit of that extra exercise. Um, one thing we're very lucky where we live here in terms of the ocean is close by, but yeah. just to go barefoot 
onto mm. the beach down into the water can completely revolutionize how I'm feeling. Uh, but it doesn't matter, I think, where we live. If we can just sit outside and feel some wind or it's a little cooler out right now, probably for a lot of people, uh, maybe even going out in the snow barefoot, that would <laughs> <laughs> that, that could wake me up. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a whole, obviously we have this word holistic approach. Um, from a lot of different angles, but I think you're right. You're tackling one of the big pieces. If we have a, a really a thousand piece puzzle, but then we put those thousand pieces into where the three or four of the big pieces that, you know, come together, I think you're right. The food has to be, and maybe that's something that will just naturally happen. Like maybe we'll get into uh, just more of a, a raw and or whole food based diet um, out of, like maybe it'll just happen naturally or, or <clears throat> maybe combined with some real attention to it. What do you think? I mean, well, I think, you know, within our community, it's happening. I mean, I've been in the alternative community uh, since the seventies, even in Miami where I got my massage license. And that's when the raw food, you know, thing started basically mm-hmm. with Ann Wigamore. And then I went to study with Ann Wigamore up in Boston in the seventies, mm. you know, which was interesting but um, I, I like what you say, you know, the exercise dynamic tunes the body and will help tune the body to what it needs to sustain it. But then to sustain it, we need real food um, and, and stay away from the, the middle aisles in Publix, mm. um, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. But I think the other dynamic um, that I have tracked uh, and that really worked for me uh, and that's really being promoted is intermittent fasting. Mm. Uh, that's a very big dynamic. Uh, I've been studying it for 40 years. Uh, one of the ways I lost all that weight is I did a 40 day and a 60 day water fast. Wow. And subsequent to that, I did, um, 30, 40 and 50 day juice fasts based on Norman Walker's book, um, on juice fasting. And so I have stayed up with the, the, the literature on intermittent fasting, uh, Jason Fung, who is an MD, uh, he's probably the world's leading expert on intermittent fasting. He's in Canada. But they, they have a closed uh, membership Facebook page called The Fasting Method. But the bottom line is the bottom line, and that is to tune our metabolism. And the, and the term now is biohacking because I'm reading a brand-new book that was just published three weeks ago called The Immunity Fix. How do we biohack our immune system? Because mm. that's the other age we live in right now. Mm. We are in the age of the immune system where the weakened immune system, because of the metabolic problems, you know, generates this, this attack on our own body from our own immune cells and so forth. And the way you, we hack into that and change that is to stop eating. Mm. Stop eating so much. Yeah. And it basically means 12 to 16 hours between the last piece of food you had um, at night and then the first meal in the morning. And then periodically you try to stretch that out into 12 to 18 hours. And then you try to make a jump from like 18 to 24. Not every day, but maybe once a week. And then from there, you try to make a jump to 36 hours. Mm. And there's a, there's a great fasting app that I use when I, mm-hmm. when I do my intermittent fasting. Because mm-hmm. I like to do three- and four-day intermittent fast. It's kind of easy, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yep. And the, <clears throat> the, the literature on it right now is really, really good because it's no longer just about, I can't drink water for three days. No, you're allowed green tea. They've, they've configured certain things that you can drink, mm-hmm. um, even almond milk. So I make my own almond milk, yeah. um, and that's permitted during an intermittent fast. So it's not about starvation. And, and you're right, Todd, we live by the ocean. I'm going to go down to the ocean and just watch the ocean yeah. you know, and do yeah. my intermittent fasting. I'm going to read a book, yeah. but I also have to have a type of a lifestyle where I'm not going to be hooked into my phone for three hours and, mm-hmm. and do all mm-hmm. the trivial stuff and mm. that I like to do. And I'm not going to be turning on my computer that much unless there's an emergency or I need to handle something because mm. that's a brain drain. I don't want to yeah. be using my, yeah. 
my brain that way. So yep. intermittent fasting, um, exercise, and real food, um, that's the big combination. Yeah. And I think the other dynamic, which is so interesting, it's all trial and error. You know, p- people think, like, if I say intermittent fasting and somebody goes out and tries it and it doesn't work for them, well, I don't know what that means. It doesn't work for them. You know, they don't feel well or whatever. You 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 have to keep trying it over and over again. Your metabolism didn't get messed up overnight. Yep. And biohacking your metabolism right now is going to take some time. And if you have uh, pharmaceuticals, medications that you've been prescribed, you need to be doing this uh, under the supervision or at least always letting your medical doctor know that you're doing this yep. so that you can, um, good point. Uh, you know, you can really do this ethically for your, your own body and mm. take care of yourself. Mm. Good point. The other type, I, I, I really uh, enjoy taking little breaks from food. Uh, whether it's short or long, and I can attest to what you're saying. Um, the other type of fasting I've been I've been doing is uh, doing news fasting. Um, and in all seriousness, I, I found like I used to never really care about what was happening in the news. And and uh, I met somebody who was, you know, he uh, someone who I respected, who was um, you know my my elder, and and was like, you know, how can you youngins not care about what's going on in the world? You know, you need to be paying attention to the news and. And then slowly, as I started to figure out how to get, you know, notifications on my phone through my, through, through the, uh, you know, app or whatever it, like, I just found myself that every five minutes I was doing the down thumb scroll for the next article to pop up and, and getting really hooked on it. And, um, and then I also was noticing that I was like feeling kind of miserable and I thought, let me just like do a news fast. And I was pretty shocked after like three days of hardcore, like even when the TV I was on in the background, I went somewhere else and kind of stayed yeah. away from it. And, uh, I started feeling good. Like I was, after three days, I was like, <laughs> why am I feeling good? Hmm. Maybe it's cause I'm not. And then I, I know there's a little bit of a, a dilemma in, I need to be aware of my world, my surroundings, what is happening. And at the same time, the more I become aware of what everyone else is telling me is happening in the world, then the less I'm really aware, I don't want to say less, but I feel, I don't know, just, I, I guess I'm a sensitive person and it hits me hard. I would imagine everybody kind of feels this way right now, but, um, and staying away from that, what's happening in my world right now? It's a bit of wind out. Um, my gas tanks, three quarters full. <laughs> my, my fridge has food in it. I feel very thankful for that. And I realize not everybody is in the same position that I am to have a fridge full of food. Um, so I, I'm very appreciative of that. Uh, and some of these basic things that I'm like, this is my day to day. This is my world. It's actually, um, you know, I, I have these things that I need. And, um, and then after about three days, I was like, all right, that's enough. I want to know what's going on in the world again. But I don't, I don't know, finding a balance with the news fasting. Are there any other fasting things that you've choose consciously to fast on that you've because obviously we have food is we're putting in our mouth news we're putting in through our eyes or through our ears um there's obviously i guess we could do sensation fasting you know um but you know in terms of meditation are you really fasting from your sensation are you taking a full-on feast on the sensations what do you what is your take in that field well i like that yes we are feasting on our sensations so you know during meditation practice um you know there's basic instructions on posture and 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 breathing and and what we're concentrating on but um as you as you go along with meditation one of the things that brain research is showing us is that there's way too much data coming in all right, so so we, we actually do need to do a fast off of media in general. And you know, not just the news feeds, but I'm talking about turning off the television, stopping to look at whatever movies or Netflix or whatever, you know, take a break from all of that. The research is showing that there's just way too much data coming in to all of our senses, all right? And so when we sit down and we, we meditate, 
what's happening is that our senses start to average out. They start, all of the senses start to settle and they, they begin to create averaging <clears throat> and it, it's called simulation. It's like a flight simulator. Our, our brain is actually creating a simulation of reality out there because there is no way neurologically we can know the reality of the data that's coming our way. I'm sorry. Um, there's, there's some good research on this. So we are all simulating reality as best we can. And when we meditate, we get to start averaging out. And if our visual cortex has been overstimulated from whatever, you know, then, then that starts to settle. And gradually, that settling process then of all the senses uh, of being overstimulated, whatever that might be, it allows us then to shift our moral compass so that when we are out in the world and we see and feel our senses, you know, being overwhelmed, we have a way of managing that. And just like you said, turning away from it if it's in our environment. If I am in a restaurant and I see a TV going, I, I make sure I have a seat with my back to the television or whatever, just to, to really get away from it at that level. But if you, when you practice meditation long enough, you get that sense of your senses being averaged and you realize, oh, wait a minute, if one sense is being overstimulated, let's say in meditation that I'm having way too many thoughts about a certain subject, like the election last week. <laughs> and all of a sudden, what I can do is I can switch to my visual consciousness. I can keep my eyes a little wider open. And I always meditate uh, looking out a window. I I'm not a good wall gazer, as they say in Zen. And I just let my visual consciousness take over. But what happens if I'm meditating and on Monday morning, which is when all the weed whackers and leaf blowers are going in my neighborhood, every single one of them. <laughs> and so I totally concentrate on the sound of those weed whackers and I disengage my mind from that and I just go into the sound. So it's a training of my senses during meditation to then be in a better way with my senses later. Because mm. as we said at the beginning of this um, this podcast, you know, I want to be able to be in the present moment. And, mm. But I've got to have training on how to be in the present moment. The training on being in the present moment is through the, the, the averaging and, and the, the sense of the settling of the senses and the awareness of when one of the senses is overwhelmed, like the mind sense when we're thinking too much, mm. which is then going to cause emotions and so forth. And then how to, to ratchet down from that and switch senses. Mm. Great, great um, way to uh, create a visual picture of how, how that goes down. I like the thought of going into the sounds that typically create the distraction. And, and, and possibly, I heard a great, um, uh, an artist, a famous musician, uh, was speaking about how he would get uh, you know, read these 10 wonderful reviews about how everyone was really appreciating the album. And then he'd read the next one, which was a bad review. And it just took him from like, I'm so elated on my experience, you know, my, my, at my abilities to now I feel like crud in such an angry mood. And he, he mentioned how, um, becoming indifferent so that when someone gave, you know, you're amazing. You're the best at what you do. Thank you very much for offering your opinion. You know, and, and then somebody coming in saying, your, your art is horrible. It's the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my life. Look how horrible you are. And you say, thank you. I, I appreciate your opinion for taking time to right. even reaching out. And so that level of indifference, perhaps then I am in the restaurant and the, the TV's on and I can be there and I can see it and I can be indifferent and I'm not necessarily buying into and or letting my emotional um my mental and emotional uh waves just get completely engulfed by that so i i like that idea it's probably a good idea to start with the leaf blower that doesn't have <laughs> you know there's no languaging going on there that's just a good old hmm, you know like a, just a good hum 
you know, um, and then we could progress to being able to hear words which have power to direct what we're thinking about to where they're, to, you know what I mean? So, right. um, yeah, I like that. Uh, the other one that's good is like whenever I hear my ceiling fan, it gets like a thunk, a thunk, a thunk, yeah. a thunk. And I'm like, no. And then I'm like, wait, I'm in the African wilderness and I hear a killer <laughs> drum beat coming yeah. in. Ka-dunk, ka-dunk. You know, and so uh, it, it could be either or, right? I, but I, I appreciate that insight. That's cool. That's good. Um, do, do you think that we're losing our sense of humor? <laughs> uh, i would say lost it's gone it's, it's gone it's gone it's gone out the door um I, yeah the, what is, <laughs> sorry <laughs> why do we need sense of humor i mean that's an obvious question i know i, I know the answer to that but uh humorous why do we why do we need some why well we, humor reduces anxiety i mean um there was a famous humorist. Oh, what was his name? He was with the Miami Herald. Barry was his last name. I don't know that but one. He, but at any rate, he was asked um, about the value of humor, and that's what he said. He said, we need humor because it reduces anxiety. Um, and I find myself you know, going to YouTube on a regular basis, looking at you know, some of my favorite comedians you know, when I'm feeling anxious. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm in the VA. They offer me anxiety medication all the time. There's just no way I'm going <laughs> to start, you know, having f- five bottles of pills in my, in my, my, uh, bathroom. Yeah. So yeah. at any rate, the, the, the humor component is really necessary, but <clears throat> humor also at another level of understanding, um, allows us a sense of non-attachment. So it's like you said earlier, you know, we need to be totally present for every situation we're in. That's what meditation and yoga trains us to do. It, it trains our body and mind to be and have continuous practice so that it's not about the, the class that we just took. It's about every moment of our life. And so we're being trained to be totally present for our life. And the challenge with that is you got to be non-attached to what's in the present moment. So we can train ourselves to be present, you know, we can do our body and we can do our breathing um, and so forth, but we have to be non-attached. We have to develop that sense of Mm non-attachment. And so I think humor um, is very helpful that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it, it really, um, it it really helps that sense of non-attachment and to be present. So, (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. So, I know the next got, question, Tom. Yes. <laughs> hey, Mike, have you got a joke for us? <laughs> well, on that note, yes. <laughs> can, you, can you help the audience lower their anxiety with just, yeah. just, just a jewel of a joke here? <laughs> yeah. Nor- normally, you're, you're good at whenever I've taken your classes, you have a good um, you know, um, overhead projection cartoon for, for me to check out. Um, in the podcast land, um, you, you're going to have to paint that picture for us. <laughs> well, I was, I was thinking, um, I do keep joke books handy. I've got like five or six or seven joke books, you know, at home and, and I do read, I re I do read and go back to reading, you know, jokes cause I, I like them a lot. And I, I do try out jokes in different countries uh, where I teach. The Italians have the best sense of humor because I get more latitude. Um, you know, you just can't tell certain types of jokes. Yeah. And for a period of time, I was telling parrot jokes, um, which I really like parrot jokes because they, they're, they're supposedly non-offensive to anybody. Yeah. But there's one parrot joke that I've been using a lot, the punchline with, with my wife a lot uh, lately. And that is that a man goes to a store because he's, he's living alone. And <laughs> and sorry, sorry. No, I've already seen you crack up over there, so I can't help but start laughing before you get into it. All right. All right. Well, I'm ready. I'm ready. Sorry. It's a lot better telling this to an English-speaking audience because I have to tell this very differently. Um, in, in Europe, uh, this particular joke, and, and you'll, you'll see why at the end. So this is really an American-flavored joke, but it really gets the point. And that is that uh, a man is tired of social distancing, so we'll call this a COVID joke. 
He's tired of being alone at home. And finally, the pet stores in his town are allowed to open. <laughs> and he decides that he's going to go get a pet like a lot of people. You know, you walk around here and there's everybody's walking their little dogs. I mean, I had this little dog almost attacked me yesterday on the way back from the beach. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> really? <clears throat> so he goes to the, um, to the pet store. Um, and he decides he's going to get a parrot. He wants a bird. And, um, but he wants a, a talking bird, of course. And uh, the man, the pet store owner says, perfect. I've got the perfect uh, bird for you. It's a very talkative bird. You're really going to like this bird. He brings the bird home, gets the bird in the house, and all of a sudden the bird starts cursing and swearing. <laughs> I mean, it's the most vile, vulgar <laughs> f-bomb language you can possibly imagine and he's just revolted by it and he screams at the bird and he, he tries to take the bird back but the store owner won't take him and and finally in a fit of anger he grabs the bird and throws the bird in the freezer <laughs> and <laughs> that's not nice but it's, it's still kind of funny <laughs> now i know you pet owners out there are you might be struggling with this but please it's a joke you know and it, it has a good ending so at any rate so all of a sudden you know, the bird is squawking like crazy in the freezer and the bird goes silent and the man has this tremendous remorse he goes oh my god what have i done you know i, I can't kill this bird so he opens the, the freezer door, and the bird, the parrot, is just sitting there. And the bird says to the, to the man, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. For, for, for. All of a sudden, yeah. his like, language skills right, just developed right, tremendously. Right, right, like, right, right. I know other words, other words that start with F. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am so sorry and I will never ever ever use bad language ever ever again and can you possibly forgive me please and the owner looks at the bird and says well sure of course I can forgive you and the bird says thank you but I have one question and the man says sure what is it and the bird looks at him and says, what did the chicken do? <laughs> <laughs> now you have to yeah, realize well, <laughs> the frozen chicken. He didn't apologize. <laughs> no, the, chicken, the chicken didn't <laughs> apologize. <laughs> oh, man. There's a lot of layers to that. that was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when my wife and I get angry at each other, that's one of the first things we say to each other. So what the chicken do, you know? Yeah. So with last night when she got angry at me, I couldn't say that right away. I had to yeah. wait about an hour. Timing is important. Timing is everything. <laughs> oh man. Good one. I'm a fan of Monty Python and there was a Monty Python special that's out there. And, uh, and then, so as I was, I was watching the news and the cast of characters, I started looking at them as if they were just Monty Python actors, like, like the, the news story was just really a, a comedy script. And then I, it actually, it actually seemed a little funny <laughs> in some weird way, like the craziness of things. Maybe I, I started laughing, laughing a little bit at it. I don't know. There's, I think humor is absolutely critical. I'm a big fan of the old comedy stand-up comic. I saw Dave Chappelle the other night deliver a monologue that made me go wow brilliant willing to push the buttons but yet craft yeah. it in a way yeah. where showing our own weaknesses willing to shine the light back on ourselves and yeah. and but then be willing to talk about things that are difficult and maybe we'd rather shuffle under the rug and i don't know i'm a i think it's important but i think from that angle of comedy and humor there's there's some brilliance there well i think with humor you know there's the downside to humor as well and and um what happened after um george w bush was elected president um the 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 genre of humor started to switch a little bit mm. uh, a lot 
and into um, the uh, humor of anger mm. and the so-called rant, rant cast, casting and so forth. And so, you know, a lot of the humor that's out there is angry humor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that has a value. Um, it has a value to reduce people's anxiety, especially those of us that have anger on a regular basis for whatever reason, mm. you know, whether it's political or, you know, my wife doesn't like the way I clean the screens or, or whatever. Um, <laughs> is that what the argument was about last night? <laughs> I thought it was how to be something pretty dang serious, but oh, well, no. oh come on! Are, are any of the arguments we have with our spouses ever about anything serious? I mean, it, yeah. it was the screen had a little too much lint the, on it. <laughs> no, you're right. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Well, in the, I think the challenge is when I. Like my wife won't listen to that that type of humor anymore. I'll yeah. listen to it yeah. periodically, but a yeah. lot less so. I, I don't need to have yeah. that that level of vitriol, even though yeah. it's it's funny yeah. coming into my life. Yeah. Um, so there are other forms of humor. I do enjoy the humor where there is social commentary. Mm. In my era, um, George Carlin uh, was a big mm. big. Comedian, mm. my my wife really loves George Carlin. I never was kind of into him, mm -hmm. and then gradually, my wife has converted me. So even two nights ago, uh, there are so many clips of George Carlin on YouTube, yeah. and we were looking at a ten minute clip, and I would just tears were streaming down my <laughs> yeah. my face, and I've probably heard this clip three times already. So yeah, I hear ya. You're right. There is a there. There's been an evolution in the <clears throat> the stand up. And you go back to those old, well, I say old school, what seventies comedy from the seventies. Yeah. But you're right. The, some of those, some of those guys are just so funny. It's great stuff. Well, it is good stuff, and I, I think the other phenomenon um, is called uh, laughing yoga. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard of it. I have. You know, I, I, um, you know, the first time I heard that, I thought, what? And, um, and, and I think it's probably one of those things that if you watch it. If you watch a video of it, it's very easy to be judgmental about it because you might not start laughing with them. You might start, you know, looking at them going, that's forced laughter. But, um, you know, you've got me going into some good laughing yoga before. <laughs> and I, it happens pretty spontaneously. And I, I you know, I don't, I, I, I like that, that method. I find that the, the method that I've seen where it's like, all right try not to laugh and I'm just going to start laughing right. and see if I can keep, you know what I mean? And right. sometimes it feels almost like forced, but, but I, I think the spontaneous laughing yoga to me, um, that's the, I'm kind of called to that, to that version. What, what is your experience with it? Have you been in a, have you gone to a laughing yoga class? Yet? Oh yes. You have. Oh, oh absolutely. Well, um, where was that? Well, it was, it was that quite phenomenal because I, I was just like you. It was like, really? Um, somebody's going <laughs> to yeah. teach me how to laugh. I don't think so. But I had a, um, a very, she's a dear friend of mine now. Um, she, she was a student many years ago and she was a professional clown. And I didn't know that she'd studied at the, it's called oh, the wow. Laughing University, Laughing U, I think it's called. <clears throat> and I had wanted to take their workshops. But what I did was I started to hire her because I noticed in my classes about 10 years ago that, that people stopped smiling in the United mm. States, that the students, there were less smiles, you know, and I, I was bringing in joke books and I was trying to get people to lighten up a little bit just to start the day. Come on. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I saw the trend happening, you know, and the Irish person in me wanted to reverse the trend, you know, and make everybody happy. But <laughs> so um, her name is Elizabeth Newman. Um, her website is originforces.com. She lives in, in Los Angeles. Brilliant brilliant young woman. And I would hire her to come in to my classes. And I was skeptical at first. And within 10 minutes, she had everybody laughing and rolling on the floor. That's awesome. Now she was very skilled because you have to know group dynamics and so mm. forth. Mm. 
point being, I'm not going to watch a laughing yoga class on YouTube. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. It's yeah. a group dynamic. Yeah. Uh, it's very special if you have a really good leader yeah. that can do that. And I've had her in, cl- in my classes for over five years. And that's awesome. Yeah. Phenomenal. So, and she would just like randomly all of a sudden get going and just get your whole group to just start rolling in tears and, and just laughing. Well, there's, there's basic exercises, you know, there's yeah. many, many, it, it's like a yoga class, you yeah. know, you, yeah. like if you're going to do a belly laugh, you need to, to know how to throw your hands up in the air, bend over backwards and bend forward Yeah, with, yeah. And that, with a belly yeah. laugh. So yeah. there's, there's a mechanic to it in uh-huh. terms of yoga. Uh-huh. Um, That's cool. Yeah. I'm glad you opened my mind to that. I'm going to, I'll sign up next time she's in town. Well, <laughs> yeah. or, or, you know, you know, travel to her. Todd, let's you and I take the, like a three day workshop <laughs> right. and, and you and I can start offering I'm, laughing yoga here. I'm down with that. That would be good. I agree. I agree. And on that note, you know, um, uh, on the last time you visited, well, we did it over the phone cause we were social distancing and um, we had a good laugh about just the fact that we um, were happy that we we had a little time locked in our homes with nothing to do. Um, that's evolved a bit. Things have evolved. It's been a few months now. Sure. We're laughing about other things. That Par- happened parents. inside the yeah. house yeah. for three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're laughing about the fact that we did not clean the screen well enough. <laughs> the day after. And, uh, and, um, I hope that in a few more months you'll be willing to come back and we'll see how things have evolved a little further and re realign and reinvestigate and see, uh, see if we can, um, keep having conversation that's moving, uh, help that can help us in the direction of feeling good about life and also taking care of others and being patient for others and and uh just kind of letting this process unfold in a way that maybe we don't push it in any one direction and sit back and take enough time to just kind of let it unfold i want to thank you so much for taking the time to come in and to speak with us is there anything that i can uh is there anything that you'd like to say to help us close actually before you say anything can you let us know the best way to contact you if we want to learn more about you and is it the best way to go to your website? Well, since all of my classes have been canceled this year, <laughs> there's, there's nothing to check out. <laughs> this is it, my friends. This is it. This is, it. <laughs> this is, uh, this is it. All right. Well, um, you can go to shayhart.com. Of course, next year I've got a, a, a relatively full schedule of classes that I doubt are going to happen because they're all in Europe. And we'll probably schedule some things here, um, cool. which would be great. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the thing is, we've you and I have offered a lot of advice uh, in our time together this morning. And it's, the, the, you know, the standard advice that people are getting, you know, eat right, <laughs> exercise, and, you know, meditate. Right. So here we are just being redundant. But I think the thing for me um, as this has unfolded over the past three or four months I have had to double down on my spiritual practice. You know, uh, I think anybody listening to this podcast has a spiritual practice. And, and what I found is I had to double down, you know, whether that's twice as much uh, meditation practice. Uh, I mean, I have, and actually, Todd, you'll be happy. Um, maybe you will be. Um, but I've started my, my yoga practice oh, again, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. two weeks ago. It's like, oh my God, nice. it's time to reintegrate mm. that back in mm. as part of my spiritual practice. So, and I've been doing a lot more uh, meditation retreats this morning. I just signed up. I thought I was going to have the weekend off, and I heard a brilliant talk last night from the Upaya Institute where I'm getting my chaplaincy. Um, program degree and i heard a great talk last night and i was signed up for it this morning so friday night all day saturday all day sunday i'm going to be in practice and uh, meditation and also listening to some great talks on on non-duality from the zazen point of view and then from the tibetan buddhist point of view and i think there everything's available todd i i'm just mm. 
Everything is available online now. There are empowerments, Buddhist empowerments, you could not get unless you went a thousand miles to the top of a mountain to get them, and yeah. you can get them online now. Yeah. And most of it's by donation. And I urge anyone listening to this podcast, double down on your spiritual practice, whatever that is for you. Give more time to your family. You know, social media fast. What is important? This is a time of discovering our inner values, you know, that the, the moral engagement, the moral independence. What are your inner values? Do you really value the trivial time you're putting in on the internet? And that's okay. Maybe that's a reduction of your own anxiety. That's fine. But get clear on your values. Double down on your spiritual practice, whatever that is. It's all available now. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks again for listening to this episode. It is a pleasure to have this opportunity. Thank you so much. Again, we appreciate your support. If you'd like to make a donation, you can find us on Venmo at Native Yoga Center. And remember, we have yoga classes via live stream in studio that you can access at nativeyogacenter.com. Have a great day and until next time.